you know you have a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. Season 4, Episode 5. Today's podcast is brought to you by BooklaunchMentor.com. If you've ever dreamed of writing a book and getting it published, head on over to BooklaunchMentor.com and you can get all sorts of free resources and mentoring there. You'll also note that I'll be having a couple of intensives coming up. The next one is in the first part of November in Geneva, Switzerland, and the next one will be in Rockwall, Texas in uh, February. And also, if you have a group of writers that you would like to have an intensive and uh, have me come to you, uh, we can do that too. So drop me a line at mary at marydemuth.com and I will fly to you and bring the intensive your way. You'll just need to have at least 10 writers to join you. So uh, anyway, if you're interested, do that. I would appreciate if you could leave a message, um, well, not a message, but a review on iTunes. That would be great. That will help get this podcast into more hands. And if you want to share your own story, as I've mentioned before in the podcast, go to marydemuth.com and on the right-hand side, there's a microphone and you can share four minutes of your story for the listeners. And um, I would really appreciate it if you could do that. Today, I'm welcoming Chuck Roberts. He is a counselor in the Dallas area and he has an amazing adoption story as well as just a restory of what it looks like to have a lot of dreams dashed and yet God coming through as he progressed in his story. So um, this is a great episode to listen to with your family. And I hope you really enjoy Chuck's testimony because I was really blessed by it. And so here we go with Chuck. Hey, everyone, it's Mary DeMuth with The Restory Show. And I'm really excited today to have my friend Chuck Roberts on The Restory Show. And Chuck, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for inviting me. Chuck, give us a little bit of a background of how you grew up and who you are today and a little bit, so we just know a bit about you before you share your story. Okay. Well, I grew up in uh, central Kansas in a very um, rural area. I'm um, the fourth of five children, so lived in a very rural area. My dad worked at an army base, worked on helicopters, also did a little farming on the side. We raised hogs, so I got to got to help raise hogs when I was a kid and do chores, that sort of thing. And my Parents, we were always, you know, very, very involved in church. We were one of those families that, um, if the doors were open, we were there. Mom and Dad both taught Sunday school, and and we were all, you know, it's just like a central part of our lives that the church was. And so, um, so grew up there and uh, went to college for a couple of years at Kansas State University. I, at the time, I wanted to be a sports writer. I decided kind of late in, in elementary school, I wanted to be a, a sports writer. I knew I liked sports, but wasn't very good at them and decided I wanted to be a sports writer. Even though at the same time, there was always kind of in the back of my mind, this other sense that I really was going to end up in ministry uh, in, in some capacity instead. But I did go ahead and go two years to uh, Kansas State and studied uh, journalism and then um, uh, sat out a year and transferred to the Moody Bible Institute, uh, where I did get a a degree in pastoral training, and came back home to my home church in Kansas and worked at a factory to support myself and then worked, helped in the ministry at that little church um, for about five years. And it was at the tail end of that time that I met uh, Suzanne. Her parents came to 
visit the church. And um, that was in January of 88. And we were married by early August of 1988. <laughs> oh, that was fast. <laughs> oh, that was fast. And I always, I always like telling that story because um, I'm, I'm usually known as this very slow, plodding decision maker. <laughs> and I'd had, I'd had people all the time, you know, it's like, um, I, I was 27, a few months shy of uh, 28 when we got married. And, and I had people all the time, you know, anxious to, um, to get me married off. And I was always telling people, you know, when I, when I see the right one, I'll know, I just haven't met the right one. And so I always use that as proof. You know, I can, I can make decisions quickly when, when you know, it's the right the, one, <laughs> I know it's the right one. That's right. So, so that was, that went really fast. Yes. <laughs> so after that you got married and then did you move somewhere? Well, I thought, yeah, uh, well, we spent the first year, Suzanne is, um, is seven years younger than me. So she was finishing up nursing school, um, in Salina, Kansas at the time. And we spent the, the next year living kind of in, in that same area. I continued working at the, at the church and, and my other job. And then she finished her nursing degree and knew she wanted to work in a bigger hospital in a, in a city where she could get more training. And so we moved to Kansas city where we lived for a few years. We did a lot of moving our, our early years of, of marriage. We lived about three years in the Kansas city area. And then I got transferred with my job at the time I'd left the ministry and, and, um, was working for a retail store and got transferred to Milwaukee to run a store there. So spent a year in Milwaukee working just a crazy, crazy amount of hours, 90 to 100 hours a week for did that wow. for a few years. And so ended up uh, deciding to leave that job, came back to central Kansas. And that's when, you know, for the longest time, even when I was studying pastoral training at Moody, the class I enjoyed the most was pastoral counseling. And I remember at the time thinking, um, this is what I think I really want to do, but I was kind of caught up in the time and the idea of being a, a senior pastor, and so I didn't give that a lot of thought. But as time went on, you know, and I was reading books by guys like Larry Crabb and thinking, you know, this is what I really want to be doing. So when we came back to Kansas, uh, I worked for a few years and worked on finishing my degree. Actually, I got a diploma from Moody earlier, so I had a few classes to finish my degree and then went on to Colorado Christian University, where Larry Crabb was teaching and got a master's in counseling. Then right about 18 years ago, fall of 99, we were invited to move down to Dallas to join a counseling group down here. So we, we made the move to Dallas and we finally stayed in one place for, mm-hmm. for 18 years. So that's a real high mark for us. <laughs> yeah, that's a long time. So now you're practicing in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and and you're happily married, continue to be married, and uh, 18 years here. And now, um, what story is it that you want to share with the Restory listeners today? What came to mind as you were praying about it? Well, as I, as I was praying about it, I think what stands out to me the most, what I wanted to share is um, just the story of our infertility, infertility and adoption journey uh, that Suzanne and I were on because um, we were... 17 years into marriage before we were finally able to adopt our daughter, Linnea, uh, who's now a few months short of 12. But, you know, so prior to that, you know, there's 17 years of just a lot of um, heartache with, with infertility. And um, so that's, that, that's the story that kind of jumped out at me that I wanted to, to share today with the listeners. Yeah. So when did you start 
realizing, and when did your wife start realizing that things weren't working the way you wanted them to work? Like you may probably made a decision, okay, we're going to try to have a family, but after the months go on, when did you start searching out other options or realizing something wasn't quite right? Yeah, you know, and that's, uh, I think we came to that realization at, at different times. I mean, it was probably, you know, a couple of years into marriage when we, you know, decided to go ahead and, you know, try to start a family and and weren't successful. And we were maybe three years into the marriage when I, I, I remember actually Suzanne uh, calling me one day. We, we worked, she works, she would rotate in those days. Uh, she worked in the neonatal intensive care unit in Kansas City. And so she would, she would, was doing shift work back and forth from nights to days. And, and so sometimes we had real, really crazy schedule with my, um, you know, sometimes working 90 hours a week. I mean, there were literally, there were times we could go four or five days without actually seeing each other. Wow. Just leaving notes for each other in the house and calling. And I remember her calling one day and saying that she, you know, the, the, the doctor had raised the first, you know, the possibility for the first time that maybe there were infertility issues. And I, I, I remember that conversation mostly, mostly with regret because a lot of my input into this or my way of handling that in the early years was really just to kind of blow her off with platitudes you know, just sort of reassurances like it's all going to work out. It's it's going to be fine. Don't don't worry. It's it's going to happen. And I'm sure I did that that day. We were at way different times about when it like really kind of sunk in, and in a in a sense when the kind of the futility that that I you know was struggling with when it really hit me. Uh, we were we were kind of years apart on that. How did that affect your marriage? Being at two different places. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, I, I think. In a lot of ways, in those days, we, we just, you know, found ways to kind of check out from the pain. Mostly, I mean, I, I think Suzanne was a lot more in, in, in touch with the pain. I was, um, I'd grown up with a lot of black and white thinking and had retained that into adulthood, a lot of black and white thinking about, about how things work. You know, like if you're, if you're good, God blesses you. <laughs> Bad, he doesn't bless you. So if blessings aren't happening, then there must be something going on, something you you've caused. And um, I was blinded enough. <laughs> it's humorous to say it now. I was blinded enough to think I was actually doing a a pretty good job at this whole Christian thing. And so you know, it really couldn't be anything that was on our part that was fouling things up. And so you know, I didn't really understand. But you know, eventually I figured it was going to to happen, and, and things would be. Okay, of course, in the infertility journey, there was a time when you know the when she came back from her doctor and said, "Well, they've you know identified some issues, but they're also suggesting that you should see a doctor as well." And that was you know the first time that we were in Milwaukee at the time, and so that was the first time I began to think, okay, maybe maybe these are bigger issues, bigger issues here. But I still you know really found a way to to tune out, and I think we both did that to some degree. We just kind of checked out from from the pain. We both tend to use books to do that. We we both read a lot, and we kind of I think checked out in a lot of those ways back then, and just didn't. So in some ways, you know, we weren't as affected maybe as a couple who was like you know a lot more in touch with with pain and what was going on in their hearts uh, as you know we were just not in that place at that time. And so when did you kind of get to that moment where the two of you both were on the same page and 
did you have like a medical diagnosis that says, Hey, you guys can't have kids or was it more like, well, we don't think we're going to be able to have them. So let's start the adoption journey. Or were you reticent to start that? Or how did that, how did that work? Well, several things, you know, kind of converged for us at the same time. Uh, There was, um, it was a time we were, we were back now living in, in uh, Salina, Kansas. And it was December of 1994. I remember it was December and Suzanne was working in a, in a, uh, newborn unit there at the hospital. And um, she called me from work one day and said that there was a young lady who'd come in and had given birth to a child, to a, to a boy, and was you know screaming that she didn't want this child and to, and to take it away from her. And so social work had gotten involved. And you know she had mentioned to them that, hey, maybe you know we would be interested. And uh, we hadn't really talked a lot about adoption prior to that it just that you know hey if it ever came to that we would be willing but we hadn't like set aside money for adoption we were still pretty committed to figuring things out with infertility but when that possibility uh, arose we decided to go for it so uh, so here's this mom there's this baby in this hospital and so we decided to um that we would give it a try so that was the first of uh, several failed adoption attempts we actually we actually, you know, very quickly contacted a, an attorney uh, in the town, a very kind lady who came, came alongside and and went with us to the hospital. The 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 young lady had, lady had requested a meeting uh, with us, and um, so we went to the hospital, met with her, talked with her for a little bit, and then the we were asked to step out of the room, and uh, so we went out in the hallway to wait, uh, and not very long. After that, our attorney came out, just looked really upset, and she said, well, she has backed out of the adoption, out of giving up her, her child. And actually, what, it, what she said is that the young woman had, had changed her mind prior to our, even to, to our meeting, but had just wanted to meet us out of curiosity. Wow. And so <laughs> that, that really stung. I mean, that, that, that really hurt terribly um it's like you know why did you why did you kind of drag us down here to meet with us if you'd already changed your mind so that was a very very a very brief but it still you know, still stands out um in our memory and especially in in suzanne's memory because she had actually taken care of that that baby in the unit that she worked mm. in um, so that was especially difficult for her i had never myself actually got to see the baby but for her that really stung but after that we decided okay we're so we're back into the infertility we'll give that we'll give that a try and so we ended up with a an appointment at a clinic in in Wichita and I don't remember the year exactly but we drove down to Wichita for this appointment and uh, spent most of the day there and ended up in this meeting where they're saying you know we think we can make this happen for you but it's going to be uh, just this this amount of money and your insurance will contribute nothing to it. So <laughs> you need to come up with this. It was a very, very large sum. I don't remember the exact sum, but it was far more than it seemed even possible uh, for us to come up with. So here we are now, you know, they're saying, I think we can make this happen. And then it's just like, how are we ever going to get the money to do that? 
So that was the first time I really, I think, got engaged. I mean, I, I remember driving away from that appointment and just pounding the steering wheel and, and yelling at God, uh, just having my own little kind of cussing tirade for mm-hmm. a little while at, at God about, you know, just a, really kind of shattering my whole black and white thinking. You know, I remember part of what I said to God was, you know, a lot of good it does to follow you. You know, wh- where has that gotten me? Because I, I think I've been trying to do things the right way. And then, and then we end up with this and how is that fair? And um, I look back at that and I think, I think on one hand, although it was, you know, I, I was, you know, very, very angry. I, th- I think it was also the first time I really engaged with God in a really honest, you know, authentic way about what, what was going on with us and what was going on in my heart. Um, and I, so I think there's a part of him that, at least I hope, was uh, was honored by that. At least I was beginning to engage. And I think um, now, at that point, Suzanne and I were more on the same page uh, with with where we were at. Uh, so over the next years, we, we were just, you know, we were just a lot more engaged. There were a couple of more attempts at adoption, um, never through an agency, but there were a couple of situations where we were notified by friends of, of women who were going to give up their child, um, looking for someone, and then uh, in both those cases had backed out. Oh, gosh. Wow. Yeah. One of those happened about uh, six months prior to, to we, till we actually were able to adopt Linnea. That, and, you know, it's just kind of a here we go again thing. But there was along with, with infertility there, you know, Suzanne was under a doctor's care then here in, in Dallas, uh, you know, excellent doctor. We were trying all kinds of things. And there was actually one time, uh, it was in 2003, I recall that she was getting ready to have uh, some kind of a surgery, and I cannot, I can't remember exactly what the the surgery was, but she would have she would have she had some endometriosis and some other issues that were things that she would need surgeries for occasionally, and so we were getting ready to have another surgery, and the doctor, you know, I remember we were there late late in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon, and he said, well. I know this seems like a formality, but we need to do this, you know, this pregnancy test anyway before the surgery happens on Monday. So let's go ahead and do this. So, so we did that, and then promptly left to go up to to check out. To, and 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 the doctor comes running up, said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is unusual, but we have a positive on the on the pregnancy test." Like, so we were just we were just stunned. It's like pregnant, really? You got. You know, we just couldn't believe it. So we w- drove away. I mean, the doctor was thrilled. We were thrilled. Um, just unbelievable. And just could hardly wrap our minds around it. I mean, just the next next few days, it was like, I can't, you know, can't believe it. This is this is amazing. Maybe we're actually, this is going to happen. Suzanne's pregnant. We're going to have a, a child. And then about a, a week later, she contacted me at work one day and said, I'm having some trouble. I'm, I'm bleeding. I'm having some trouble. And and ended up miscarrying, and so once again, that was that was lost. So so the hurts just kind of kind of piled up, and then the last of the adoption things, I, uh, the failed adoption things I alluded to a minute ago. There was a, a, an old friend of mine that I'd gone through grad school with, who was 
who was had set up a counseling practice in Oregon, and he contacted contacted us to say, hey, one of his his clients was a young girl who was pregnant and wanted to give the baby up, and he had told them about us, and so she decided she she wanted to give her baby up to us. We were making plans to fly to Oregon to to meet her, and I got that that was the first time I really really let myself, I mean, all the way like throw you know totally get my heart engaged in the process and you know so I, I would be driving home from work and this image would you know pop into my mind of me and this you know a little a little boy you know playing catch in the yard we, we were already told it was going to be the baby was going to be a boy and so uh, these ideas you know these images would just pop into my mind at various times of you know me and a, a boy playing catch or just various things so I really I think I was that Although I'd gotten more engaged in the process before that, that was when I you know, really, really let my heart get into it. And then once again, birth mom backed out. Her mother apparently had talked her into to keeping her child. And so, so we were heartbroken uh, once again with that story. So this that's a lot of like three or four failed adoptions and a miscarriage, right? Is that about right? Yeah, I think three. Three failed adoptions and a miscarriage, yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. How, how did you because I know what the end of the story is and, and you've told us too what it is, but how did you choose to trust again and to put yourself into that place again of vulnerability and, okay, we're going to try to adopt again. How did, how did you get to that place? You know, I, I think, you know, for myself, I, you know, Suzanne remembers uh, kind of getting there in a different way. And, you know, she remembers a sermon, you know, in, in, in our church, um, our, 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 our pastor talking about, you know, believing, believing what seems impossible and, and, and trusting God and felt really encouraged by that. Um, I think for me, you know, it was really a struggle. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I had, you know, begun to feel like God, you know, was really kind of messing with us, um, messing with my heart in uh, in some ways. And and actually recall, it was in, in September, one evening I was I was leaving uh, a counseling office, so this would be like September of, of 2005, early early in the month, and um, I, I usually called Suzanne on my way home to ask if there was anything she needed, and she said, hey, um, our friend Stan, who, who's a lifelong friend, who's a, a pastor in Kansas, Stan called and said he wants us to um, give him a call when you get home. Okay, well, that's interesting, and uh, we both kind of speculated about what the call might be about, and then I just said, I wonder if he knows of somebody and he's going to, you know, who's given up a child for adoption. I don't, I don't know why that just kind of popped in my mind. So I got home and, and we called Stan and, and sure enough, that was a story. A young woman in his church was pregnant and had decided she could not keep the child and wanted to give up the child for adoption and, had come in that day. He had told her about us, so he was calling to see if we were interested. And I remember, you know, this battle in my mind and my heart as we were on the phone because we we quickly, you know, expressed interest, and then there were, you know, just more details to attend to. And I remember hearing, you know, Stan and, and Suzanne talk about some of those details. But there was a part of me. I was hearing those, those details talked about. There's another part of me kind of having this conversation with God, you know, this 
kind of anger conversation of, uh, you know, God, you better not be trying to trick me. You better not be messing with me again. And just, you know, it was, it was really difficult to believe that he wasn't just going to kind of mess with me again. Um, so really, the trust, I mean, I, I, I don't look at myself as a stalwart of, of trust on that. But I remember on the phone, both of us expressing to, to Stan, I mean, how can we how can we not pursue this? You know, it's a, it's another chance to have a child and maybe, maybe this is the time. And so of course, you know, I, I finally at, the, at some point in the conversation re-engaged and said, Hey, I'll contact the um, social worker who, who we'd contacted previously about our, our home study and I'll contact her and get the ball rolling on that. We'll get that moving. And so, you know, I, I think trust was a battle. I mean, it just, there was this part of me felt like, here we go again. God, are, are you going to try and trick me? But at the same time, how can we not pursue this? Because we want a child so badly, and maybe this is, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the time. And so, when when you finally were able to see her, and you knew for sure that she was going to be yours, I mean, describe that moment. It was an incredible moment. Actually, we we got to be there at her at her birth, actually, at Linnea's birth. So we made a trip to Kansas, I think early in October, I believe it was, to um, meet with the birth mother. And just to, you know, she wanted to, of course, to meet with us and just confirmed that that she was moving this direction and, and she, you know, continued to make that that choice. And so she um, she contacted us on, uh, I remember it was, Halloween, October 31st on, uh, in 2005, I was, I, we knew her birth was getting close. I was actually home. I left work early and was home putting together one of those Ikea dressers for the uh, nursery. <laughs> so parts spread all over the floor trying to figure out Ikea, Ikea directions. And, um, and the birth mom called to say, hey, I'm just leaving my uh, OBGYN's office and he's going to induce me in the morning. So. It's kind of like drop everything, call Suzanne at work, you know, packed the car. I mean, left, drove through the through the night to um, Kansas, you know, slept a couple of hours and got to the hospital. And um, and then we waited. She ended up actually having to have a cesarean uh, later that day. And it was, um, you know, it was really a special moment. She actually, the birth mom invited Suzanne to be in there for the during the, the the surgery. Oddly enough, this was this was still this was in Salina, Kansas again. So this was back in the in the birthing unit that she that Suzanne had worked in before. Oh wow! Um, went back to and, you know and with and, and was with the birth mom, and so she actually was right there. And then I got to see Linnea. I mean, just moments after her birth, and it was just I mean, it was just the most <laughs> I mean, it's the most incredible thing seeing her. Unbelievable. <laughs> At that point, there was. Where was the point of no return? Like, I mean, she said this all the time, but the other birth mothers already given birth to some of their kids. So when did you for sure, for sure know that Linnea was going to be yours? Well, that is another story. It was, um, it was 16 months later. Actually. Oh my gosh. No. It was a long time. Actually, again, again, got to be there at the moment of her birth. We stayed in the hospital. You know, I've, I described in somewhere I, I wrote about this and talked about you know being staying in that room in the hospital and having Linnea in our room, 
you know, and waking up every couple of hours. I, I remember sleeping in this cramped little chair in the hospital and waking up every couple of hours to feed the baby and to change diapers and hardly slept at all. And it was just about the greatest moment of, you know, night of my life. You know, it was just incredible because here was this baby. But what happened, uh, the other part of the story is um, the birth mom had really, after her pregnancy, had been pretty much abandoned by the birth father. I mean, he had contributed nothing to her during the pregnancy and had nothing to indicate he was going to be of any material support uh, to her, which was, you know, weighed heavily in her decision to give her baby up for adoption. But after after Linnea was born, then uh, the birth father kind of re-entered the picture, and um, and suddenly, you know, he's he's here and wanted to to take custody of of the baby, and so we had a had a court battle on our hands, actually. Uh, so that was another hard period. We'd actually, you know, there were papers filed right away before we even left the hospital, but we were allowed to take her back to Suzanne's parents' house in Kansas. We spent a couple of weeks there and then got the all clear to come back to Texas with Linnea. But then early in December, the judge ruled that that the baby needed to be back in Kansas, treated it more like a kind of a custody situation between the birth mother and birth father. And so we needed to be back in Kansas, or Suzanne did at least, needed to be back in, in Kansas um, so that the birth father could have visitation. So Suzanne ended up leaving her job, and moved back to Kansas, back to her parents' house and spent a few months there. So she was there. Uh, and then I would travel back up to, to see her and the baby and travel back up for uh, court stuff. So in early January of 2006, went to court and that was hard. I, mean, I felt like we waited for uh, weeks. I think we did wait for weeks for the judge's decision. And he had ruled in our favor, ruled that um, basically his decision was that the, the father had give, given up his rights. Really, is just if a, a father does not provide material support during the pregnancy, then you, know, you have a right to question whether he's going to support the birth mother. She had given up her baby with that idea, that, that belief in mind. And so the law was that he couldn't come swooping back in and try to take this, this baby. So he ruled in our favor on, on that one and also something we hadn't asked for. It actually ruled that the birth father was unfit to parent. So he ruled that. And of course, it was appealed right away, you know, taken to the Kansas Court of Appeals, which, you know, I understand on the one hand. I mean, I don't think it should be an easy thing to take away a parent's rights, not by any means. So this went to the Kansas Court of Appeals. So we had to wait till like, it was just after uh, Christmas of, of 2006 when we finally heard the news that the, the Court of Appeals had ruled in our favor. So it was early in February of um, 2007 that we were finally able to finalize Linnea's adoption. And we were just you know, grateful she got to be with us all of that time with, you know, say, for a few hours of visitation with her birth father. She, she was, was with us the whole time. So We've always been very, very grateful for that. What a roller coaster. Wow. That is a lot. That's a lot to go through. That was quite a roller coaster, yes. There were just, you know, months, um, you know, especially during the appeals court time. It's kind of like, you know, things go to 
the appeals court, and then there's just this long, silent period, it feels like. But, you know, one day you walk to your mailbox, and there's this large, you know, manila envelope with something from the attorney, you know, something from the, the courts, and, you know, I remember, you know, it would just be, we'd just be shaking, open up those uh, envelopes, like, what, what is this going to be? You know, what is this about? So that was a, a very, you know, trying time, like, you know, what's, what's going to happen? Are we going to get to keep her or will we end up losing her? You know, what's, what's going to happen? So that was, that was tough. <laughs> That's an amazing outcome to that story, but it, it was so many years in the making. And you talked about how you had that honest conversation with God in the car. And I'm guessing, um, just because I know you, I'm guessing that that ushered in a new level of intimacy with the Lord through this journey. Would you say that that's true? Yeah, that, that really is true. I mean, I think it's something God has very much used in in my life to draw us closer together. And, and I, I think a, a big part of that is just to get more of a sense of of God's really for me. And, you know, I have my moments even now, even after all that incredible story, I can still have my moments where I can get into kind of a funk and feel like he's not really for me. But that's that's a lot harder to get there <laughs> these days because of that story, you know, because of what he did do. And and that's that's maybe the biggest thing of all is just, you know, he's he really is for me. He's really for my good. And I think just the just the sheer you know dependence on him during that time, I and mean, we had nothing. We had nothing. We had a lot of friends who tried to to, to reassure us, and some of it felt really good, and some of you know depending on the kinds of things they said, it felt kind of empty. It felt kind of empty at times and unhelpful. But you know, I know people cared, but um, but I did very much in that time get more of a sense of of God really caring and drew much closer, much more intimate with him during that time. Um, again, since that he cared, but also you're really all we've got. <laughs> yeah. Just throwing ourselves on his mercy and care. Right. <laughs> right. So as a counselor now, do you feel like that story has also informed your empathy for others? Yes. Yes, absolutely. But I, I think, I think prior to that, I was able to sit and, um, and empathize with clients but yeah, I mean, drastically, it's still very, you know, has very much affected how I'm able to to sit with clients, much more empathize with them. I think the thing too, especially as I find myself you know, less about wanting to to fix something painful when somebody comes in, and of course, there's a part of me. It's like you know, I hate to see people in pain. There's that part of my heart as a counselor. I hate to see people suffering, but when they bring big questions in. You know, something they're suffering, some grief that has happened, or, or maybe they just have really serious questions about God and how He operates and whether He loves them. I think I'm a lot more careful about how I talk with people, and you know, because of our story, so less fixing, more empathizing. I think that is really true. So, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's walking a similar path right now, who's listening to this podcast? When I think about that, I, I think primarily about the men, you know, I, I think of how long it took for me to really engage with Suzanne, you know, how many years there would be of her saying to me, you know, do you think we'll ever have children? And me just, you know, very quickly, way too quickly saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I know it's going to happen. I, I, I know it'll happen. You know, don't, don't worry about it. 
you know, I look back at the time, I know there was just so much my own heart that didn't want to consider the possibility that things wouldn't go the way that I wanted. And I just, I just dismissed her. So to the men, I would just say, don't be like me. Don't take, don't take so long to, uh, to come alongside your, your, your wives. If, if this is your struggle, join in and, and be a part and, and don't deliver platitudes, but listen to her questions. Don't, don't try to fix it. You know, we men can struggle with, you know, trying to fix something. So we can kind of move on to the next thing. And it's like, don't, don't try to fix it. And I think, you know, to, to anybody, I'd just say, I don't know how your story is going to end. Um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that our story ended the way it, it did with, you know, successful adoption of a daughter, you know, now almost 12 years old. We've been so, so blessed. Um, but I know not every story, infertility and adoption story ends that way. Uh, and that's, that's really painful. You know, there's a part of me doesn't know what to say to, to those folks, except I, I know that God really cares, you know, and it can sound like a platitude, but draw, draw near to him. He is the giver of life. And, and, um, no matter what happens, draw near to him because he gives life and he will give you life. And, and that is what you need more than anything else. I love that. And I think it's a good way to end. Uh, my last question for you is how has God restoried you in the past year? Well, uh, last year has been very interesting because, um, as, as you say, yeah, I'm a I'm a counselor, and for all of my career, I've I've worked as a part of of group practices, and was a part of a group practice for about the last 12 years. I think we we started it up in 2004, and so I was part of that group practice uh, for a good long time, and had got to know you know there was a staff of about eight of us, and good good friends, you know, became you know good friends with the people I worked with, and so just kind of figured that I would always be with that group. And then uh, at the end of uh, 2016, the decision was made to, by the owner to shut uh, that practice down um, for a number of reasons, but shut the, the practice down. And so for the first time in my counseling career, I'm really kind of in, in, in business for myself. Instead of working with a group, I'm more, I'm solo. I, I, I share office space with a couple of good friends, but I'm, you know, it's, it's my baby. I'm on my own. And so now for the first time, I'm having to learn uh, QuickBooks and things like that. <laughs> yes. it's, not, it's not quite so easy as, you know, clients paying up front at the, you know, to someone else and somebody else handling all of all of the financial end. And now I'm having to figure those details out for myself, which is not my strong suit. So um, he is um, in a way that, that that's a, kind of a big restoring for me because I didn't really perceive myself uh, or see myself as a business owner in that way. And so here I am, uh, kind of starting over and with my own, own practice. And that has been just another opportunity to, to trust God and to, to believe that, that, uh, he's in this and that he's, he's with me, uh, no matter how fast things get off the ground or how all that turns out, he, he's with me and we're doing this together. So I think I have more of a sense now of, in this process of it's a project he and I are working on together. I'm not alone, um, but it's a definite restoring. It's not, uh, it's not something I had planned on. He tends to work that way and doing things like totally out of the blue that we would not have expected, but it causes us to grow and to trust. And it does sound like your story is, is a 
a story of trust for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Chuck, for being on the Restory Show. I just appreciate your heart and I appreciate your being honest about your own struggles because I, I think people are going to learn from that. I know that a lot of people have that journey of infertility and adoption. So thank you so much for sharing your story today. Well, Mary, thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show today. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, I pray for those who are in impossible situations today, who aren't able to have a child or who are struggling with adoption, or maybe they have a dream of something, of ministry, of a job, of a new relationship, and all of it seems to be dashed, Lord, and there seems to only be darkness all around. Father, I pray for a pinprick of light in the midst of that darkness. I pray you would help us all to find joy and count our blessings even in the midst of not seeing dreams realized. Help us to rest in the fact that you are sovereign and that you have a plan and we may not understand it and that it's okay to be human and wrestle with it, but help us to lift our eyes. And when we can't, I pray you would lift our heads to be able to see the broader picture of what you are doing on this earth. Minister to the broken parts of us today. Minister to the broken dreams. Minister to the places where we're not healed yet. Minister to the trauma. We so desperately need to know that you see us and that you're walking alongside us. I thank you so much, Jesus, for being near. And I pray this in your name. Amen. If you'd like more information about today's show, just head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash four dash five. And may you live a brand new story this week.